Today's episode of Azure Lunch is sponsored by the Azure Architecture Center. For the best advice on architecture styles, technology choices, and design principles for the cloud, including the five pillars of software quality, check out the Azure Application Architecture Guide at aka.ms architecture. Azure Lunch is presented by Daniel Larson and Matt Simpson, technical evangelists at Microsoft. We work for Microsoft, but our opinions are our own. Morena, Matt. Hey Dan. Nice to see you again. Back again. Back again in our uh, corner office studio and <laughs> Microsoft <Viaduct>. headquarters <laughs> in the viaduct. Where the Harbour Bridge is slowly disappearing behind a sea of apartments. Yes. Good looking apartments though. Yeah. bad. Right. What have you got for us today, mate? Today we're going to talk about serverless. Cool. Is this a new thing or has this been around for a while? <laughs> That's been around for a while. The, the phrase... But like anything in computing, <laughs> as, as gets um, kind of conflated and over overloaded, and and yeah, it's just just wanted to kind of talk about the functional aspect of it, yep. and um, you know, is you know, serverless. I personally, and I'm not alone here, think it's a pretty bad bad name. Okay, um, we're describing something by something that it isn't, uh, which is often a really poor <laughs> poor way of, you know... Describing something? Yeah. <laughs> Let's describe what it's I'm going to tell you what it doesn't do, um, <laughs> or what it isn't. <laughs> like, it's serverless. And it's, uh, yeah, and it's also, it's, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a, it's, it's a bit of a lie as well. It's, it's trying to, it's trying to, you know, it's trying to make a point. All right. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of saying, saying something that isn't, isn't the best way of describing something. Okay, so let's start at, at, at CTO level. C-level. Serverless, I've heard this around quite a bit. What does that mean? For me, it means that we, in a, in a, in a functional aspect, so we're talking about code here. Mm. I've got a piece of code. Yeah. Um, I want to execute it. Um, I don't really care about running it on a, on a, on a server or, a, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to think about RAM and CPU and cores and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about networking. Yeah. Um, I just want somewhere to put my code and it, it to execute and, and, and do that um, quickly and have all the benefits of scaling. Um, I don't want to have to think about the underlying infrastructure. I don't want to have to think about patching it. I don't want to have to, yeah, think about scaling, scaling. any of that. Yep. Don't want to think about any of that. Um, so it's going to execute some logic and, and be done. So it's pretty transient, um, you know. Okay, so I've got a you know I've got a, a bit of code or, or something that's functional, a function that I want to run. Mm-hmm. I need some compute to put it on. I just really don't care about what tin it's running on or you know managing the scale or anything like that. I just want to run it. Is, yep. that, is that it? That's it. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, when I think about functions, I often think about you know. CompSci, even before CompSci 101, you know, I think, you know, at high school, when you draw a box and you'd have an input, you'd have the box, which is the function, and you'd have the output. Yeah. If your function looks like that, serverless is going to be good for you, right? Totally. Yeah. That, that, that's the, the key message is, you know, something that, that can be, you know, executed as a single piece of code. I mean, a lot of these, you know, the, you know, all of the cloud providers have, have technology in this space, mm-hmm. um, you know, but there, there really is, you know, you have to be thinking inside that, the constraints of that environment, you know, in terms of these aren't long-running long tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're essentially, they, they don't have any state. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is, this is you know the the shift that we're moving into um so yeah it's fairly ephemeral in nature you know they they're going to be short-lived and mm-hmm. but it but the trade-off there is that you know yeah then you know you don't have any you can't do memory caching inside it you know it's not gonna it's not gonna work like that but the idea is is that by some of those trade-offs allow me to to have massive scale 
So I can exactly. just, uh, if I've got a load of work to do or a load of inc- incoming requests, um, I can spark those off and they will just, you know, I can scale um, not yes. infinitely. Um, you know, we're still bound by, uh, you know, constraints inside, um, yeah. you know, physical constraints inside, you know, the amount of uh, nodes you can run on. But essentially you're not having to manage any of that. That's the, the benefits that come with it. There's strong parallels with functional program. Isn't there? So, functional programming languages like Haskell or F Sharp, you know, one of the key tenets of that is you don't want any, I forget the term in functional programming, but you don't want any, any, you know, sort of global dependencies, anything, you know, outside of that function. You really want to inject everything you need for that function to work. Yep. And what, what, what functional programming has proved over the years is that that scales really well. Yep. Because you've got, a, you've got shared nothing style, you know, infrastructure and software. Um, yeah, you're not waiting around for other things to happen. You're just doing that that small part. I mean, we can go back in time, map reduce, you know, all sorts of things that have that have demonstrated those qualities. Mm. Is it is it just software? I mean, are we just talking about software programs? Are you starting to see this leak into other parts of, of yeah, IT? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, there's a massive there's been a massive buzz around serverless mm. um, from from when it was introduced. You know, um, you know, with with AWS Lambda back in the uh, back in the day yep. um, as being you know the kind of first. Um, you know, serverless kind of functional um, uh, platform, uh, and then you know, Azure's um, functions have come along, and we've got you know Google Cloud Functions, and you know, so like I said, all the providers have got their space in the functional aspect. But unfortunately, um, some of the marketing friends have, have seen this explosion in in, in serverless um, take off in terms of functional, and now we've seen that kind of that kind of leak into other um, aspects of uh, cloud computing. So now we're you know anything that. That, that can have a serverless tag or a serverless moniker <laughs> then gets that thing. You know, I've seen, you know, we're now seeing serverless databases, which... But isn't that a good thing? I don't know. I just think it's... I, think, I still think it's a terrible name and I've <laughs> I've seen people backtrack. You know, the funny, the funniest one was Databricks. The Databricks had a... Mm. Which is a which is a cloud scale. Mm. You know, this is a Spark, big data processing engine. Mm. And they started talking about serverless pools, and it was, you mm. know, it was, and they rolled it back. They rolled the name out and really? decided against it because it confused yeah. everyone. Yeah. And they were like, "Well, is it just going to, you know, is my data disappearing?" But yeah. you know, the, this point of ephemeral compute, I think, is a better kind of scenario where you know I can scale. Yeah. You know, if I do have a like you say, MapReduce, or you know, if I've got a Spark job like with Databricks, mm. I could actually spin up a some de- some some nodes that I just wanted to do that job on, mm. and and they would spin up, and I could tear them down. And you that's know, the beauty of Spark, right? Yeah. Um, Those kind of distributed kind of levels, but we're seeing in data, seeing it coming to database products that are running twenty four seven. It's you know, it's like you yeah. know, you're not just going to turn off your SQL box or whatever. Just you know, you know. Well, someone's got to keep it running. Exactly it's right. I mean, you know, Microsoft or you, like, right? yeah. So yeah. So so it's definitely coming in. But I mean, you know, there's 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 lots of you could attach it to a lot of monikers, right? I mean, you could turn around and say, well, you know. It, to apply those those some of those concepts in terms of you know elastic scale, not having to worry about CPU and memory and those kind of things, you know Cosmos, yeah Cosmos, I don't have to worry about that stuff. That's true. So you know, is that serverless? Mm. You know, there's those kind of things. But I mean, you know, if you really want to boil it back down and and start thinking about you know in terms of Azure in the Azure space, for me, you know, the the key core functional components of serverless is really around you know Azure Functions, yeah, uh, Logic Apps, yeah, which was even before functions, which is kind of, you know, state machine. Um, but, you know, yes. it's it's still got some state there. So, you know, you could argue it's not serverless. But, you know, and Event Grid's another good example of something that's serverless tech as well. True. Where, you know, you don't, there's no configuration. It's PubSub. 
Eventgrid being that that awesome cloud native uh, messaging yeah. system, reacting to events, so event driven system. So you know, as an event is a you know the event grid. Uh, it's a good name because you know I'm reacting to events that come in. Mm. Uh, so somebody uploads something into storage that then triggers, and that's all completely opaque to me. I can't see any of that. It's all it's all in the background, runs on the fabric in in behind the scenes. I don't have to say I want a event grid premium or you know i just i say i want one of these and it, and it works so that, that that in its sense has kind of got that some of those aspects of what and i can see why people are attaching that kind of like that serverless moniker to those things because mm-hmm. we're you know but what we're really saying is that you don't have to worry about yeah. auto scale patching and configuration exactly. i think there's a different you know there's a difference to it right so right. i think yeah sometimes it, we we kind of get lost in lost in some of that marketing sometimes i think for sure so we've got azure functions what, yep. what can you tell us in just a few minutes about how that actually does work under the hood. I mean, you know, in terms of the serverless part of it. Let's, yeah. let's start with the outside view. So as a programmer, I have an API. What do I, I push my, my code to it, javascript.net? Yes, and uh, and more. So yep. we've got Java and Python now. Um, cool. So there's a couple of different versions of Azure Functions. We're, we're moving into the V2 model of, of things, but essentially, right. yeah, um, I've got some code. Um, I can package that up and, and push it to the... Push my zip file, and, and then what happens? Then what happens is uh, we will keep a copy of obviously your code, mm-hmm. and then as requests come in, we will light that code up. We'll run it. We'll you know build a uh, container, and I'm not using a I'm using container in air quotes. Uh, we'll build a kind of a, a container where that will um, essentially run and execute. So by a container, you mean an isolated ish yep. process to to run that code in safely and as quickly as possible. Yep. How does that work? How do we how do we keep that warm? What you know. So we just keep it resident and RAM the whole time. No, no, no. So there, and again, this is this is where the trade-off comes into. Mm. And you know, if you look at into serverless and you look into cold starts and those kind of thing, that's where you know, because like you say, into your point around, um, you know, this kind of shared nothing, and you Mm. know, in terms of functional programming, uh, essentially. Any dependencies, any uh, package dependencies you've got mm. in JavaScript, or say you're pulling in a, a library from someone else that you're using in C sharp, um, we have to we have to load all that as well mm. because we're not, you know, the, the the beauty of serverless is it's in its cost model as well. So mm. in terms of economics, it's really good. Mm. Um, but again, you're paying for every single thing that happens, and you're not paying for anything that doesn't. Right. So even loading in those libraries, loading up your code into memory, yeah. um, is still part of the execution time that you pay for. So what's that? Gigabyte seconds, right? Yeah. Gig- Gigabytes that's, a second, so we right. charge in gigabytes a seconds and per execution. So that's the kind of cost model. So yeah, you can you know the the, the these functions. You need to think, and it's a different, it's a change of mindset really when you're programming now, because before you know you could cheat a little bit, um, yeah. where you could you could rely on some of the the framework that was coming from the server because mm. the server's always running, and mm. you know it's going to take care of some of that. Um, those memory allocations that are coming in. You know, I could I could be lazy and load a load of. Um, Potentially, a load of libraries I wasn't using. I could pull all those in, yep. you know, and you know the the server would do a good job of just keeping that, you know, and, and taking care of that for me. Yeah. Um, now that I've lost the server in the serverless, yes. um, you know, I'm it's not just it, sitting I, around there with spare, with spare yeah, exactly. So it's all on me to then make sure that I'm I'm staging that up and, and moving forward. Let's drill into that. So the, the thing I love about gigabyte seconds is we're now I'm being as a programmer I'm being incentivized. To write to use less RAM, and for my code to run faster. Hundred percent. That's so cool. That's great. From a performance engineering point of view, that's great. Yeah. The the uh, reverse of that would be could get expensive real fast, I guess. Expensive in I've relative. Never seen an expensive, <laughs> function, to be expensive fair. in relative terms, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, the the 
the really nice thing is I saw somebody tweet last night about it. It's kind of crazy where you know you think about how how ex, you know how cheap this stuff is. It's, it's yeah. kind of kind of nuts in that respect. And um, Troy, we've got Hunt. a yeah. Troy's Troy's got a great blog Amazing. around how he runs uh, Have I Been Pwned and that site. Yeah. But yeah, we've seen some really good stuff around because um, you get a million you get a million executions for free <laughs> and kind of forty thousand. Like it, it's it's a, it's a lot. And then you know really um, that's per subscription. Um, by right. the way, yeah. No, so yeah, yeah we've 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 kind of had that before. So the yep. the free grant is per subscription. So you yeah. can't just stand up uh, twenty thousand function apps and yeah. uh, get uh, twenty million free calls. But um, you know, so there's there's definitely some. But yeah, you have you know, if you're waiting on something, um, if you're waiting on an external, maybe you're calling in some data from something else. Um, mm. If you're waiting on that for a while, you know, you're mm. paying for idle time as well, right? So mm. like you say, it's really important to Absolutely. to make these things run efficiently. And maybe yeah. um, you want to put a queue in there, or you know, if you yep. if you you know, that's that's a really Decompose. good pattern that we've seen Absolutely. where. You know, maybe I just want to acknowledge somebody sent me some data. Yeah. And the, you know, often the quickest way of doing that, if I want to apply some logic later on, uh, is to maybe to just put that straight to a queue. Nice. And then kind of kind of process that in my own my own time. Yeah. But there's right. some really nice patterns. There's still there is still some um, nice stuff that we can do with functions. We can we can limit that execution as well. We can there's some there's some settings that we can have to to limit the scale out. You yep. know, we can make them into, um, you know, we right. can we, we, yeah. Because the one thing that we did see was. Um, and I've got an example that I was doing where I was trying to load data into Cosmos. Yes. And I managed to get up to 100 instances. That's right. You wrote a blog on this. Yeah, so I got a blog on this around uh, where I was trying to you know, front load 10 million records into, um, into um, Cosmos. And I was using functions just because I was trying things out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the nice thing is it's all – so functions is linked in with Application Insights, which is mm-hmm. our, um, our performance monitoring mm-hmm. tool. And you get a live dashboard so you can see things go on. Mm-hmm. And the, the, this is the funny thing, right? It's serverless, but I can see all the instances that are running my code and I can see them growing in size, right? So there is actual physical servers or virtual servers in this respect uh, running my code. And you know, I managed to get up to 102, I think, at peak. Mm-hmm. Um, so 102 instances running my code. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing, right? I actually overwhelmed Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's purely because I didn't give it enough um, resources. Didn't enough so I didn't have enough request units. So yeah, so yeah, it's pretty hard to, to ramp it out. But yeah. I ran out of, um, you know, I hadn't scaled my database. And we've seen that a few times, right? We've seen yeah. it where people have actually... You know, move to a functional, uh, move to this model where it's really easy and elastic to scale out, yeah. and actually then found that the bottleneck is <laughs> somewhere somewhere yeah. down 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 the road, right? Because uh, all of a sudden I've got you know a hundred instances running um, threads of my code and yeah. all trying to hit the same, you know, all coming back to the same point, right? So yeah, exactly. there's some yeah some real you've got to be kind of you kind of got to be on your toes a little bit when you you start running it running high scale. So there is, I mean, let's talk about. What happens when you do want to orchestrate functions? So you know you implied that that sometimes you actually do want to serialize things, or maybe you want to you know move to a more of a singleton pattern where you want to you know you just don't want this thing to fan out at scale because you're going to smash something at the other end. What what are the options there? Is that durable functions, or what are we talking about? Totally. I mean, there's the the pattern. So durable functions is is. Is a framework. It's not a new product. It's not you know. It's not. Mm. A, it's not. A, you don't. You don't go um, new Azure durable function in the portal. Mm. Um, it's just. It's a. It's a package and a, it's a NuGet package um, for .NET and you can pull this into JavaScript as well. Mm. Um, and it's actually built on architecture pattern. Yeah. Um, so they use event sourcing mm-hmm. um, pattern from our good friends at the architecture center. Mm-hmm. Um, so similar to that, where they actually event source, um, and they what you end up with is this what's called an orchestrator um, client. Right. Um, and that um, orchestrator is responsible um, for 
instantiating activities mm -hmm. uh, and basically marshalling all these um, resources as they go. So in your point in a singleton pattern, if I wanted, and you know, singleton's important when we talk about, um, you know, executing things in a in more of a, uh, a serial way and, and, you know, just, just doing this, you know, not, not having to um, scale out. Yeah. We can orchestrate that through through using durable functions, uh, and the nice thing about that is the orchestrator is able to bootstrap itself. So it uses things like Azure queues, Azure tables, and cool. actually um, creates an events event source mm -hmm. of where it was and where it last left off. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm running a process, because you know the the, the maximum execution time for a function is ten minutes. Mm -hmm. So if if of a single you know Azure function if it runs over ten minutes then um, you know it'll, it'll basically kill it. Mm -hmm. um, so to 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 use to get around that or to kind of work around that mm -hmm. you can use durable functions to say still make your activity run in under ten minutes but you could just run more of them mm -hmm. and and orchestrate it. Um, and even if that orchestrator runs you know even if that t activity you've got wants to run for a couple of days mm -hmm. that orchestrator is going to come and go. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that pattern of event sourcing um, where it actually is able to bootstrap itself and, and figure out where it got to last and mm -hmm. the next thing. So say your activity um, finally got its result from an external source. It was waiting for something else to happen. Um, it basically has a callback into that main function to, to stand it all up again and then you know basically step through the next, next part of that, um, that orchestration workflow. That is very cool. What do you do if you've got something that takes longer than 10 minutes? In fact, I would argue longer than a couple of minutes for a function. I mean, what, what's your option there? You can run it in a... So up until now, we've been talking about running functions in the consumption plan. Right. So and the consumption plan... So essentially, you know, um, we've taken the benefits of App Service, which mm -hmm. is our kind of hosted web hosting uh, platform, which allows you to host uh, multiple different frameworks, um, you know, on top of a, on top of that platform. We've taken uh, we've taken that and adapted it for functions mm -hmm. uh, with a, this massive elastic scale out and consumption where mm -hmm. you just don't have to think about it. Um, but if you want something long running, you can actually use uh, a standard app service plan. And we see this actually we see this a fair bit. You know, people that are already using app service plans, uh, maybe, and and that's you know that's not serverless because you're yeah. you're specifying the number of cores you want. Yeah. You know the number of memory. You know the number of instances you mm -hmm. want. Sure, we've got auto scale. It's a fabric. Yeah. yeah, we've got auto scale. You can scale mm -hmm. up, scale out those things. But you are you know you're still thinking about right. you know the, the and you're paying for it full time. Yeah. Okay. And you can use the web jobs SDK, which is the yeah. same SDK. Essentially, with all it's, that and the bindings. Yeah, it's all written on um, web job. Webshop SDK as well, yeah. How are you finding the tooling story, Matt? Really good. Yeah? Really, really good. So can I debug functions? Yes. Yes, really? you can. Yes. On my local machine? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that is... Um, there's two parts to it. So we have this, you know, this inner loop, um, you know, the inner loop dev cycle where I can actually do everything on my machine. Mm. So the obviously the tooling of VS, tooling of VS code is really good as well. Mm. So there's some really good stuff there. Mm. Um, but essentially, the, there's a there's a full the runtime's open source. I've yep. just remembered. Runtime's so, right, open source. So it's just running the runtime. It's just running the runtime. Wow. So you can um, as you when you install the the. The functions SDK comes with the runtime as well, so you can actually start stepping through and debugging functions locally. Right. Um, really nice, really nice experience and really good. Code. Yeah, so that inner loop you can really start. Um, you can you can actually um, get stuff of that when you go into you know debugging in production. Mm. Um, we still have the ability to do um, profilers. So because it's built on app service, mm -hmm. we can do remote debugging for Visual Studio and those mm. kind of things. So wow. you can actually step through and do that, and that's That'd you know taking some of the benefits of the fact that it runs on app service. Yes, you know, and it's still you know you can still get 
in and, right. and have a look and it's still got all the, you know, like, um, you know, Kudu, it's still got all the back end of True. app service as well. So you kind of got awesome. kind of to dig around in there as well. The deployment story and all of that. Yeah, really it's great, good. right? And there's a really good story from, yep. from, from Azure DevOps and just, yeah, the tooling's great. And also... Um, yeah, the, the biggest factor for me as well is the the binding story. So mm-hmm. yeah, so this is so bindings. When we talk about bindings, this is um, this is the aspects of you know if we've got maybe an HTTP request, we've mm-hmm. got an HTTP binding. If I want to then go and put that in Cosmos, for example, I can use the Cosmos binding. And these are you know software packages that have been written by the teams mm-hmm. um, that actually understand a lot of the aspects um, of function. Take a lot of the boilerplate code that you have to write away, mm-hmm. uh, and also really yeah make you way more productive by not having to think about some of this. There's definitely some there's, you can trip you can get into some trouble yeah. um, with. Improper instantiation of, of classes and oh, those yeah, kind of things, right? So, um, you know, and, and that's just, I guess, unintended consequences of the fact that you're scaling out. I agree. So, you know, oh, great, I've scaled out, but mm. all of a sudden now, you know, in terms of HTTP, yeah. you're still running on a server. That yeah. server has a thread pool. You can exhaust it. Yeah. You can, that's you a know. great point. I mean, improper instantiation, if you look in the Azure Architecture Guide, you will see that, you know, called out as a scalability antipat- uh, as a performance anti-pattern. Yeah, something we didn't really have to think about in the on-prem days because hey, we, you know, we'd RAM and CPU to burn. But when you're paying for it by the mm-hmm. by the CPU cycle, you you know, you got you're just starting to get to scale, and you're hitting um, connection exhaustion limits, connection limits, I should say. Yeah. I mean, Troy, uh, Troy Hunt really ran important. into it. Yeah, it's so like the same thing. So his mm. he ran into the same problem. Where, we'll see it, eh? where because I guess this is the you know I can. Uh, I know how to code. Mm. Um, I can I can write C sharp, yeah. but yeah. Th- this is where sometimes you know you can't uh, bring you know that time knowledge. To get the profiler out, man. That knowledge. Look at that, that knowledge doesn't necessarily transfer one to one. You know, you you still need to you know, and it's just just being aware that this yeah. is a di- different change in mindset. And like we talked about, the way that you write functions is is different, but also you know you you know it, you've got to work inside the constraints of that environment as well. And 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 like I said, the bindings can really help you out there. Yeah. Because um, essentially they will take care of uh, the instantiation of what you need to do. Um, super cool. So you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So it, they're super useful, and there's 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 loads more of them. Yeah. Um, that are there, and and again, that's managed code by the Microsoft team. So we see mm. the the Cosmos team helping out um, writing those bindings and, and you know and essentially it is all third party you can write your own uh, mm. sorry, it's, sorry it's open source so third parties mm. can write their own mm. and we can bring those in um, yeah so it's it's a really really nice story but um, yeah just you kind of you've, you've got to know um, yeah. it's worth reading there's some great articles out there again this has all been um, developed in the open because it's an open yes. source runtime so there's some great documentation there on GitHub around mm. best practices and, and where not to do and yeah. you know, like you say the anti-patterns right because this is this is where you've got to, got to think about it as well absolutely and just a quick check so you're on .NET Core yes and there's been some you know that, that's been problematic in the past how are we at now with .NET Core support and functions we're great. We're, we've GA'd, so this is the V2. So mm-hmm. um, the the V1 documentation is out there. Um, if you're just starting today, yep. um, definitely um, look at um, V2 would be V2. definitely where, okay. where I'd start. Um, right. And just make sure the documentation site's really good and it does 
Um, okay. Just, but I just just do a sense check at the top. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're reading some Stack Overflow, um, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, just make sure that you're not. Well, you know, it's moving so fast. That's yeah. The problem, so just so. just just do a sense check on it and make yeah. sure you're looking at um, the right you know, the right version because because yeah. um, essentially yeah like you say V1 was written on mm. on, the, on the the full framework platform. True. So we've now moved V2 is actually running in in .NET the Core. Framework. Nice. So actually yeah so you know and all the benefits that come with Core but also yeah. some of the the changes that you need to think about there. And so if you have if you've had to shave some yaks in the past, then give it another crack, right? I yeah, it's, totally. It's a lot better. Yeah. Okay, good. We're running out of time, but before we go, talk about, tell me about open fares. So the open functions as a service. What, what are you seeing in terms of trends in that space? Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing way more. So we're seeing, and this goes back to this aspect of you know serverless in general. Again, like this this um, this want and need to not have to you know run compute. For the sake of running it, right? So mm-hmm. we've got some idle time. You know, I don't want to be running a fleet of containers on the off chance something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so can I start doing this? Um, so we're seeing a we're seeing a push. Obviously, functions um, uh, runtimes open source, but we're also seeing you know open fares, which is another open source runtime mm-hmm. uh, for running f- functional program. And an orchestrator. Yep, or you can. Anything. Yeah, you can run it in you can run it in Kubernetes, and we're starting to see more of that um, aspect as as that could be the orchestrator. Um, you know, Lambda's open source some of their mm. um, runtime as well mm. um, oh, yeah. for you know Lambda uh, the Lambda layers and those kind of things. So yeah. we're de- definitely seeing a big push um, mm. to that. But again, you can take the functions runtime, run it in a container That's right. if you want. Um, yeah, so we're really seeing, and we're seeing you know even with the. You know, going back to Kubernetes as well, seeing the you know the virtual kubelet and those kind of things, mm. and being able to stand up machines as you need them. So mm. that's kind of interesting as well, with the, the likes of you know Azure Container instances. Um, so being able to run containers on demand, but that's kind of Nirvana, right? Where you yep. want you know it's this elastic scale being able to run on demand, and functions yep. can really do that for you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and there's 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 a lots of frameworks out there, um, but yeah, it's just. It's just understanding what's right for you and, and, and where, where you can get to and where, what you've already got. Because again, like I said, if you've already got maybe a Kubernetes cluster, and we've seen this, we've certainly seen this with app services customers, they've already got an app service, so functions is the not, you know, is a, is a good logical step, but they're not running the consumption plans, they're actually running in nice. their existing app services. You yeah. know, they're, they're saving themselves, not saving themselves some cost, but they're, you know, they're kind of looking to how to, how to use what they've got and squeeze more out of what they've got. Yeah. So if you do have, AKS existing Kube, Kube, um, you know ACS engine mm. you know cluster Kubernetes instance mm. you can actually run functions on there yep. or you could run open fares on there and, yep. and and start using it as more of a um, using it more of as, a, as an ephemeral uh, yeah. container management or, or code management um, I love system it. and the developer perspective on that is I want that functions API mm. you know so I don't really mind where it's hosted yeah. um, you know if you want to run it on my app service it's fine but I love that API mm-hmm. you know just push it it's functional. Uh, and then I can I can hack on that. It's awesome. Yeah, and around you know we talked about it before around you know those kind of protecting things and boundary mm-hmm. firewalls and you know moving things more to internal side yeah. of things. You know if yeah. we've already got a Kubernetes cluster and somebody's gone to the effort yeah. of securing it, it's running in a VNet. Mm-hmm. You know actually I could actually use the functions runtime mm-hmm. to actually run it inside you know the VNet and run it inside the corporate firewall, those kind of things. So mm-hmm. you know there's there's some benefits there just by choosing that because the programming model does have its advantages. Yeah. Um, you know and I you know I don't necessarily have to think about you know patching containers or updating containers. I I can treat it more like just just code. Yeah. Run it in a nice. 
app service environment. Yes. So yeah, and you know, Amazing. just quickly futures. So this is coming. There is a you know we're we're, we're working on the premium plan. Oh yeah, of, premium plan. Premium cool. plan of functions. Yeah. Uh, which is there'll be a few more knobs to turn on that plan, which would yep. be good. And it also takes away some of the um the constraints mm. um so we're again we're we're the cold start thing goes away mm. uh you know we're, we're, we're kind of keeping your functions warm all the time yeah but you are paying for it all the time so mm. there's a there's a trade-off there but mm. i mean it the idea is that you know you're paying for a subset but you're actually able to kind of scale past you're not having to you're not having to pay for peak scale or even kind of um, exactly. base scale so there's some really interesting um stuff that's happening in the space it's always changing so I encourage everyone to to keep on top of it awesome thank you so much matt for giving us that update we've been talking all about functions and serverless and uh, yeah we'll see you next time on Azure Lunch. Cool. Thanks Dan. Today's episode of Azure Lunch is sponsored by the Azure Architecture Center. For the best advice on architecture styles, technology choices and design principles for the cloud including the five pillars of software quality, check out the Azure Application Architecture Guide at aka.ms architecture. Azure Lunch is presented by Daniel Larson and Matt Simpson, technical evangelists at Microsoft. We work for Microsoft, but our opinions are our own.